What the fuck is up, world? Bialy, Plantic Pack. We back in this bitch. Another podcast for that ass. Another grito. Se ha dicho. I don't fucking know how long it's been since my last episode, and I don't fucking care, dog. I'm just happy to be doing this bitch again right here, right now. You know what I'm saying? Um, honestly, bro, that was a brief point in time when I considered I'm just gonna end this bitch at 100. 100 is a good run. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I don't really feel as though. I mean, there's still plenty more that I can offer. You know what I mean? But uh, I was getting a little bit. I don't know what the fuck it was. I don't know what I mean? But I just, I, I had this idea in my head that 100 is good, dog. Like, you just kill the shit out of 100 and just fucking ride off into the sunset with the, the little bit of an impact that I had. You know what I mean? And that was about a month ago. And then a couple weeks ago, I was like, nah, you get the itch going. You know what I'm saying? The itch starts creeping in and you're like, fuck, man. I want to drop some more shit, some more hood philosophy shit. You know what I'm saying? I want to get back on that shit, fucking keep continuing, spread the word and hopefully connect with motherfuckers out there in the universe that I know exists that feels just like me, you know what I mean? And then I started taking this fucking class, dog, an ancestral philosophy class, you know what I'm saying? And uh, this one particular class in general, it's a wind offering class, bro. We're learning about wind offering and shit, sacred wind offerings. And the one that we're learning right now is about the flowers in our hands, right? So tamak, I forget the last part of it, right? Uh, but the idea is that it's the flowers in our hands, bro. And uh, once you, it's like a whole song, you know what I mean? The wind offering. And uh, once you get into the philosophy about it, the basic idea is about how each and every single one of us has this fucking, these flowers, bro, that we're trying to elevate upwards. You know what I mean? To offer to motherfuckers. And I just realized, dog, I was like, man, I can't kill this shit out of 100, dog. We just getting started, baby. We only getting started up in this motherfucker. You know what I mean? 100 down. A thousand billion jillion more to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Because this is my flowers that I'm offering to you, motherfuckers. You know what I mean? With the hopes that doing so will inspire you to, you know, offer yours as well to the world. Whatever it is, you gotta learn to cultivate your flowers. Find out what your flowers are, and then cultivate them so that you too can offer them to this world. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, all of that as a long-winded introduction as a way of saying, what the fuck is up for reals? What's good? It's been a while since we've last connected. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm happy to be back. Before we get into the fucking uh, actual episode of the podcast itself, which is, as the introduction would likely be to assume, uh, Nawa philosophy. Like I'm doing Nawa philosophy today. And I'm going to talk about all the ways in which Nawa philosophy is necessary in order to help heal this sick, sick society that we're currently fucking living through. Dog. Motherfuckers talking about degeneracy and non haram and all kinds of other Western, Christian, European, Muslim shit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, Bro, the Western Christian world in general, the Abrahamic world. So whether it's Christianity, Islam, or Judaism, it's not going to save us, bro. What we need now is a new, we need to return to the ancestral ways, dog. You know what I mean? Fucking, let's just, let me just fucking get into the podcast, dog, before I start spouting out some shit without any sort of philosophical justification for why it is that I'm doing so. And uh, before I do, Naturally, as always, I want to get started with some quick formalities. As, uh, if you haven't already, follow your boy, OG underscore Ice Nice 13 on the gram. On the gram? No, the gram, right? It's the one that I'm most active on, even though I'm really not as active as I have been in the past for a variety of reasons. For one, it had been shadow banned for a little bit, but it seems as though the engagement's picked back up, right? But also, dog, because, uh, 
as I'm delving into these fucking ancestral philosophies, you know what I mean? They're very time consuming. They require a lot of energy and effort on my behalf, right? On our behalf in general for anybody who wants to partake in it. And because of that, I realistically haven't had much time to just be sitting around fucking, you know, posting shit as often as I usually have because, you know, my time is, you know, occupied between work, my family life, and now this ancestral philosophy that, you know, I'm slowly but surely learning to undertake, right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Don't get me twisted. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know, just stating facts that if you haven't seen me as active, that's, you know, mostly the reason why, right? But regardless, I'm still trying to post on that shit as consistently as I possibly can. And if you want to follow along, and get a little bit of insights and thoughts that you don't necessarily get on the potty the podcast, <laughs> not the potty, the shit, right? Uh, follow your boy, OG underscore ice nice 13 on the ground, right? I'll post an occasional shit post every now and then, right? Uh, anyways, oh yeah, before I continue along, let me just get out some, some more quick formalities. Shout outs, shout out to every single one of you motherfuckers, you know what I mean? I'm not going to list individual people, not because you're not important, but because I'll just, you know, it's, it's just so much more encompassing, more inclusive, I feel. And honestly, just easier <laughs> to say shout out to every single last one of you motherfuckers listening to this. Uh, I pulled up the listener reports from about two months ago, right before I dropped the previous episode. And bro, I'm humbled every single time I see you motherfuckers checking in from China, Australia, Europe, right? Shout out to my European folks. I got nothing against the dog, all right? I just don't like white supremacists. And I understand full well that the two are not mutually inclusive. You don't have to be a white supremacist and be European. There's a lot of mad, cool, fucking European white people specifically, you know what I mean? And shout out to you motherfuckers, you know, who are actual true allies and down for the hood, right? Uh, all you motherfuckers in quote unquote South America, but the, the tale of Turtle Island, you know what I mean? That check in and listen to the shit, right? Nothing but love for each and every single. Shout out to you motherfuckers. Some of you all the motherfuckers in the Middle East, you know what I'm saying? That's very fucking, that's dope of y'all motherfuckers. I appreciate that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, there ain't a lot of you motherfuckers around the world, but it's enough for me to continue every single time. I want to keep this bitch going and to more importantly, feel the love. And I appreciate every fucking second of it. Every second that you listen to this bitch, just know that I appreciate the fuck out of it, right? So yeah, dog, with that said, uh, I want to pick up a little bit with where I left off on the last podcast, or the last episode of the podcast. And uh, it's the emphasis on the importance that, you know, on the important role that philosophers used to play back in the day in non-law culture. And I guess I want to situate it a little bit more, dog, because, you know, when I dropped that previous one, it was on the heels of Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. And a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today is very much in line still with men's mental health, bro. And the ways in which the Western European Christian philosophies have failed us in being able to address this, right? That's what I'm saying. That's why I was saying earlier that I don't want to just start talking a bunch of shit without the philosophical foundation for doing so, right? Uh, but the basic idea is that I was going to say Western feminism. Like, I don't give a fuck about Western feminism. And it's not because I'm a chauvinist and I hate women. It's because Western feminism isn't going to cure the problems that we have. I, that we, as the people, you know, like myself, for instance, men specifically, men's mental health month, right? Awareness have. And, uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to become more feminized. That's what I talked about in the previous episode of the podcast. And it should change, bro. And, you know, uh, trying to get people to take a more feminized approach is not going to be the solution, unfortunately. At least I don't think so, right? Which is why I wanted to continue to delve back deeper into this ancestral Nahuatl philosophy and emphasize the ways in which, in, in, in many respects, the philosophy was dedicated to teaching men how to be men, teaching boys how to be men. It is not an easy thing, and it is something that just gets overlooked in Western society and because of that, it's just taken for granted. We're told to fucking dug it out, right? Suck it up. Don't be, uh, quit being a pussy and just fucking be a man. You know what I mean? 
And obviously that is not good advice and it's meant to severely just fucking disastrous results. You know what I mean? So, you know, when I say that I don't want to be feminized, it's not because I, again, hate women. It's because I understand that there are other ways aside from the Western Christian European way, Abrahamic, I should say specifically to include uh, the, the, the Arabic, uh, the, rather the Muslim traditions and the, and, the, and the Jewish traditions, right? There are other ways aside from those that can teach us how to be men that I personally feel are more conducive to helping us overcome this sick, sick Western society that we're fucking living through, God, right? And of course, that starts with the Nahuatl philosopher, Lama Ini, God. Uh, they're going to achieve their objectives through an authentic understanding of human nature. They call this their quote-unquote moral philosophy, right? And basically, it's taught, you know, the Nawa from experience that in order to live morally and virtuously, homie, it was necessary to have vigorous discipline. You have to have vigorous discipline and you have to have severe austerity. And perhaps most importantly, dog, you had to work at things that were beneficial to not just you, but the community as well, right? And um, I think these things are severely lacking, especially among young men like myself who grew up without basically a paternal figure, dog. You know what I mean? I have, I've had still to this day, mercifully, thankfully, my grandfather in my life, but there is no replacing an actual real father. You know what I mean? My grandfather was a tremendous role model, a great role model, and he showed me a lot about life. You know what I mean? But there's something to be said about the structure that is provided by a paternal figure. You know what I'm saying? And uh, in many ways, this lack of you know connection to this paternal figure, I personally feel, is what is responsible for a lot of the sickness that we currently see in the Western society, right? I'll speak to my own fucking experience alone, and I will tell you straight up that as somebody who grew up without that paternal figure, as somebody who was raised by a single mother, right? I did not grow up with rigorous discipline. I did not grow up with austerity, and I did not fucking grow up with the idea that the work that I contribute, the flowers that I manifest, if you will, to keep it with the theme of what I started the podcast with, are conducive and perhaps even more importantly necessary to you know the betterment of the community that I'm living in. You know what I mean? And that was a large part of what this Nahuatl ontology was predicated on, bro. The way these motherfuckers view reality, our ancestors view reality, okay? How they interface with reality it was hugely dedicated, predicated on this notion of discipline, rigorous discipline, austerity, and fucking continuous work. You know what I mean? Honestly, bro, as I was fucking, you know, not just because this podcast in general has been about a month in, in, in the making, right? I'm just dipping in and out, writing it in and out. You know what I mean? And uh, every time that I would sit down to write it, I would get fucking like this fucking aphrodisiastic effect. I'm not fucking like, cause my dick was hard, you know what I mean? Well, not in the sense that I'm ready to fuck, more in the sense that it's just like excitement, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, aphrodisiastic, dog. This fucking zest, this passion for life is I'd sit down and write this bitch, you know what I mean? And uh, part of that is the understanding of how difficult it was to do so. Like these podcasts, you know, I don't just jump on the mic anymore. When I first started, sometimes I would, right? <laughs> the same as when I'm fucking going out to lecture at work and shit. I don't just jump on the mic or I don't just jump in front of my students and start fucking freestyling off the top of my dome. You know what I mean? These shits are carefully laid out. They're carefully planned. They're carefully, I not seem like it, but they really are meticulously researched. You know what I mean? And uh, it's a lot of work. And that's part of the reason why, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, ah, hundreds of good run. Like, I could just drop this bitch now and fucking keep it moving and nothing will ever change. You know what I mean? Or it'll all be the same. Like, I've already said what I got to say. But realistically, that's just me being a weak bitch and not wanting to do the work, dog, because it, it is time consuming. It is a lot of work. It's fucking, 
frustrated trying to fucking research or read or write. I'm not trying to say this to say lamented woe is I. I'm just saying that the zest from life comes in understanding that that suffering is what is necessary in order to be able to have the zest, the aphrodisiastic effect in life to begin with. You know what I mean? And that's the key part of this Nawa ontology that I'm trying to emphasize here is that, you know, this Nawa concept of reality, dog, it's, it's predicated on struggle, dog. And thus, you know, they embrace struggle. They embrace hardness. They embrace hard times. You know what I mean? Not hard times in general, like, oh, we're so thankful for the hard times, but no, it's that, it's that we're not seeking a way to avoid and, have, and, you know, find an excuse to escape these hard times, but we will embrace the hard time and be, and become defined for the hard time because it is through this struggle that life, that, you know, much of the meaning and purpose in life is revealed to us, right? Uh, as I get later on into this episode, I'll start talking about like the stone, you know, the, you know, the truth that we have within us is a stone that needs to be polished by water, you know what I mean? And water, you know, water is life, homie, you should already know this, right? But uh, one of the ways in which water is life is the effect that, you know, flowing water has in polishing our stone, you know what I mean? And uh, one of the effects that it has, you think about it in terms of like a raging river that we're trying to, you know, you know, navigate, essentially. And, you know, while it is easy, very easy to just give up, per se, because of how difficult it is to, you know, tread water, even let alone navigate in these torrential waters, Ideally, the strength is fucking gleaned through doing so. And, you know, or to, to further the, the metaphor of the stone, uh, it is further polished. If we find the correct ways in which the stone is, you know, shaped and we try to navigate and try to use the water to, to shape the stone, to start, you know, to, instead of trying to force it, right? And the stone here, of course, being a metaphor for our lives. And you learn to navigate with the waters in ways that are conducive to you. And eventually, not only do you gain the strength necessary to be able to tread these waters, but also to enjoy doing so dog hence the fucking flowers in the hand right all of this is defined by struggle bro and that's something that obviously is not it's not privileged in this current fucking society that we're living in dog in fact everything it seems as though is directed towards trying to seek to avoid any sort of struggle at all whatsoever any actual real material struggle uh and in, 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 in hopes that doing so will lead us for this easy life of pacification right but that's not ancestral legacy shit, dog. It's not ancestral legacy. Anyways, and going back to this philosophy, dog, their whole point, right, the whole point of education in general and morality in particular was, you know, it was to develop, it was uh, in order rather to address this very fact about the nature of suffering, right? And more importantly, I guess I should say the discovery is of what is appropriate and right. Because doing so will help us avoid what the Nawa consider to be the greatest travesty, and that is losing our own heart, losing the stone within us, right? The, the precious stone that can be potentially polished and revealed to us. Okay. Uh, this is this this is not necessarily a, a new insight, right? It's not a unique insight. I don't, I don't want to give the impression that what I'm telling you is uh, is uh, somehow unique, right? Because the truth is, there's plenty of philosophies that have a similar insight, dog. So, you know, to give credit to the Greeks, for instance, the ancient Greeks, they had a similar idea, bro, where they sought to, quote unquote, orient the soul towards the good, right? Uh, and this is, this is the exact same thing that the fucking, the Nahuatl are talking about. But in many respects, you know, thousands of years before the current iteration of philosophy that we have right now, okay? Uh, but the whole idea here being is that there is something out there that is, it seems to be good, right? I don't want to say that this is a Nahuatl interpretation, but within us, there's a reason why we are polishing the gemstone within our, our within our, within ourselves, right? And, uh, part of that is because it's, you know, 
conducive to living a good life, it would seem to use the language of the Western European philosophers, okay? And it's understood then that the only way that this could be manifested is through struggle because you don't get a precious stone without the fucking struggle of the stone resisting against the flow of the water, the current of the water, right? And in that way, in that respect, then much of this Nahuatl, much of Nahuatl society in general then was, you know, it was, it was directed around this, right? As above, so below type shit, right? Where the micro, you see the macro and vice versa. And thus, instead of being like an actual gem, uh, an actual stone sitting on the bottom of a riverbed being, you know, polished by a, a, a river, what you have is things like a Kalmekak, which is a university, right? A quote unquote university. It could be understood as a university, right? And within this structure, you have a very rigid lifestyle. Hence, again, the austerity that I was speaking about earlier, the discipline, the hard work, etc. right? And that all of that put together is designed with the sole intention of strengthening the, the dynamic aspect of our personality, the heart, right? So what they would tell us is that in this, you know, in this culture, that by following a series of prescribed practices and penances, that the human will was given shape and it was directed towards, you know, self-control and discipline. The keys here are always going to be self-control and discipline, right? So in that respect, the Tlamatini, they seek by means of education to endow the face, right? I've spoken about the face uh, plenty of times as well as the heart. And their goal is to endow both with the wisdom and the strength necessary to be able to overcome the fucking difficulty that is inherent with existence and becoming this polished stone, if you will, right? Only possible through self-control and discipline, dog, which I cannot reiterate again, and which I'm sure you obviously already know by being a fellow quote-unquote Western man, right? Or woman, if you're a woman, listen to this too, shout out to you, right, as well. Um, but it's through the fucking, <laughs> the, 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 the strength, not through a struggle, you know what I'm saying? Which is not privileged in the Western world. We're, again, we're told, avoid the struggle as much as possible. If you got some fucking shadows lurking in your subconscious, take these fucking pills and maybe just numb yourself out completely to avoid having to deal with it. You got fucking issues with, you know, your, your, your work life, your relationship life. Go to the bar every day after work and just drown out your sorrows and your fucking laments with all with alcohol type shit. You know what I mean? Everywhere we go in Western society, there's we're being catered to find ways to avoid the, the struggle necessary for us to become the strong people that ideally we have the capability of doing so. Right? This isn't what the Tlamatini thought. Though. The Tlamatini were the exact opposite. The Nahuatl were the exact opposite. Right? They were telling us that the mature man is one with a heart as solid as a rock. Uh, a mature man is one with a wise face. They are the possessor of a face to begin with, right? They are the possessor of heart of a heart. And that a, a wise man is able and understanding. You know what I mean? And this is just a really abstract, you know, poetic way of stating that this is a, a very humanistic goal, if you will, okay? that the Nahuatl philosophers at Lamatini are aspiring to through education, right? And that humanistic goal, again, is predicated on the strengthening of men, okay? Because men, you know, for better or worse, you know, are the bedrock of most societies, historically speaking. And if you have weak men, you are going to have a weak society, right? So it's humanistic then in the sense where you're actually looking out for the greater overall being of everybody within the society, not just the men, by strengthening and making wise the countenance of the hearts and faces of the men, because as the men go, so the society goes, essentially. You know what I'm saying?
So uh, in terms of this Nawa philosophy, then that, that's the whole, that, that, that's a central part of the philosophy, bro. Where they see uh, wisdom, they see wisdom as an ideal of education that implies purity of the heart, bro. And uh, it's one that is only made possible by studying philosophy. You can't gain a face without studying philosophy, bro, right? Uh, and this is, you know, a huge, huge concept in this Nawa philosophy, bro. I've talked about at length already, you know, so I won't, I won't get too deeply into it here, but, uh, there's, a, there's a huge difference in, in, in start points and end points between Nawa and European philosophy, bro. And, you know, where the Nawa people, where the Glamatini are going to take their point of, de of departure is from the ephemeral and fragile quality of all that exists. So basically, just to you know, make the conceptual connections between the Western philosophy that's very prominent now, just think about it in terms of what Jordan Peterson is talking about. Right? Like, I've, I've, I'm openly stated my disdain for Jordan Peterson, right? But the one thing that I will give him credit for is that he is absolutely speaking to a fucking crisis that we're facing. It's the same one that I'm speaking to to you right now, right? But we're just approaching it from two different start points, which inevitably implies that we will get to two different end points. However, Despite the differences, we are still treading along the same fucking obstacles, if you will, right? And uh, the obstacle in this particular case, to use the Jordan Peterson language, is that of nihilism. Right? That's that's what we're talking about when, when you know when the Nawa are saying that they're concerned about the ephemerality because that's the, uh, the biggest threat to truth, meaning, and purpose. That's where, rather, the biggest threat to truth, meaning, and purpose exists. That, that's exactly what they're fucking talking about. You know what I mean? Uh, the Nawa weren't unique. In the sense that they discovered some, you know, fucking uh, uh, individual answer that no one else ever had, as I mentioned before. Right? I'm not trying to, you know, put one culture above another. They were every bit as much troubled by the fucking problem of nihilism as the fucking uh, Christian European peoples are. Right? The only difference is that they they move past the quote unquote death of God, whereas Christian European peoples are still there. Right? The only one that wasn't was Nietzsche. I'll maintain. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sure there's more, right? But the most famous one. Anyways. This whole coming to terms with the fucking ephemerality of existence, it, 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 it poses two questions on. And the first one is that, that on earth is the striving, let me restate that. On earth, the question is, is the striving for anything really worthwhile? And the second question is, do we perhaps speak any truth? Now I have to continue to emphasize that these are important questions for everybody, all people, right? But specifically, we're talking about men here. And the reason why is because you have to have men with meaning and purpose, bro. Because if you don't, men are dangerous, dog. Like, come on, man. We, we, we all live in this world. We all know the deal, right? And if you have people without meaning and purpose who have absolutely no regard for what comes, what came before, what comes after the purpose of us being here, shit gets really squirrely really quickly. You know what I mean? So in this particular sense, we have to, the, the, the Flamatini were seeking to, you know, strive for, for an answer to whether or not there was anything worthwhile uh, for us to be here in the first place. And if what we discovered perhaps had any truth and merit to it, okay? Because again, since truth is what gives foundation to all things, uh, it's going to lead us to this even greater problem, and that is, you know, do things and men have a real truth or foundation? Or are we just in this dreamlike existence here on Black Black, which if that is the answer, is not going to end well, right? So we have to try to find an answer to that. And again, to Jordan Peterson's credit and their and company, to their credit, they're trying to do the same thing, right? But they just, they can't, literally they can't because it implies giving up their entire, you know, ontology, 
but they can't move past the Western Christian God. It's impossible for them to do so because, again, they have to go through ontology to do so, which obviously they're not going to go to. They still hold on to the idea that Western, that this ontology is Christian, Christendom is the foundation of Western society, right? Which is why I come along and be like, it's really not. And there really are other options. You know what I mean? But what do I? Anyways, dog, as I'm saying, you know, the problems that we're currently facing right now, they're issues that the Nahuatl themselves, you know, they have to come to terms with. We're, we're all humans, dog. We're all facing the same issues. And the only difference is the stories that we come up with to try to explain them and the, the possibilities thus that are afforded to us uh, to operate within these stories if you choose to be a very systematic thinker that does is, is unwilling at least, uh, to be able to think outside of this story that we've been, you know, told is the truth, quote unquote, about reality, right? Uh, anyways, for the Nahuatl, you know, they, when they were creating their stories, they came up, they, they came to this, the similar uh, problems that faces Western, uh, European philosophy and Christendom in general, Christianity, right? Or the Abrahamic religions, more specifically. And that is, well, the problem of nihilism, okay? And, uh, much like the Western, uh, the Western philosophical tradition, the Nahuatl themselves also came to three potential solutions. And I've talked about them before, so I won't get too deeply into them, but just, you know, uh, uh, as a quick reminder by way of introduction, uh, the first one is a hedonism that is born of intellectual despair. So if I'm going to die, I might as well just fucking enjoy all the physical pleasures the world has to offer until then, right? Uh, the second one was a form of intuition through which poetry and the use of metaphor figured uh, prominently, right? Uh, as a means to express what they felt was a reality that was being revealed to them through the sacred substance of Baal, right? And then, of course, they had the theory of man as a face and a heart. And the, the supreme ideal here being the development of a wise countenance and a heart that is firm as a rock, right? So basically, this understanding that you have to be strong enough to overcome the, the nihilism, basically. Okay. This itself was only made possible, of course, by the polishing, if you will, by the, 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 the harvesting uh, of the, uh, the polishing of our stone, the cultivating of our flowers, the harvesting of our flowers, right? And this is where the Tlamatini, they come in and they, you know, they educate others to help awaken, if you will, uh, the window to the universe that exists within us all, right? Uh, to awaken within our hearts a thirst for the light and the creative powers of the okay? This is all very fancy and abstract way of simply stating that through engaging in this work of creating creative acts, right? Uh, that we ourselves become in many ways, you know, an unfolding of the sacred, essentially, right? Uh, we begin to see humans actively instead of passively through the floricanto, essentially, right? There's a really great poem that I feel uh, summarizes this idea and it states, and again, the poetry is how they used to deliver the philosophy, right? And it really wasn't poetry, though. I guess that's another important thing I should state. It's more like a song, literally like a song, right? They would sing this shit, or perhaps most, uh, more uh, appropriately to use the correct language, it would be a wind offering, right? A chant, okay? And the chant in this particular case stated something along the lines of, Who am I? As a bird, I fly about. I sing of flowers. I compose songs, butterflies of song. Let them burst forth from my soul. Let my heart be delighted with them. Right, so going back to that whole quote-unquote aphrodisiastic effect that I felt as I was sitting down preparing this bitch, you know what I mean? Like, I'm letting the butterflies burst forth from my soul. I'm, you know, cultivating these flowers that I'm getting ready to offer to y'all motherfuckers. And, you know, they delight me, they fill me with life because it is quite literally in many ways 
uh, an embodiment of the unfolding of the sacred, right? By allowing these butterflies of song to be born within us, we can begin to express that which is true on earth, we are told by the Tlamatini. These flowers, you know, they're expressed in a multitude of ways, homie. They're not just expressed in one way. The way that I just mentioned right now is my way, one of the ways that I like to do so. And it's not even unique to me alone. There's all sorts of motherfuckers on this planet who love to read, write, and articulate ideas that they gain from the reading and the writing. You know what I'm saying? And even within myself, this is just one of the ways. Perhaps the other way that is most prominent in my life, for instance, is, is jujitsu, homie. Like, whenever I'm fucking rolling, like, honestly, truly rolling and not just fucking, you know, ego rolling. Like, I'm not going to let this motherfucker tap me. But even then, too, realistically, <laughs> right? But uh, for real, like, whenever you just get into that flow state when you're rolling, it's just like, wow, dude, I'm not even thinking about my actions. My fucking eyes are closed right now for, you know, for, for uh, real shit. You know what I mean? I'm just going with the flow. Like, the, the momentum is taking me this way. I'm allowing my body to unfold this way. I'm just following the energy that we're fucking going through. You know what I mean? And in doing so, it's creating this fucking little work of art. That again itself, for me personally, I feel is another form of expression of the sacred, dog. You know what I mean? And that the point in this Nawa philosophy is to help polish within every single person uh, the stone necessary so that it could be revealed to you what your fucking, you know, what your butterfly is, if you will. So in many ways, homie, this is a very aesthetic conception of the universe and life because it's the idea that art made things divine, if you will, and that only the divine is true. You know, it's a scare quote, this uh, quote from the textbook uh, that, I, that I got this information from, which is, by the way, uh, the, the philosophy book by uh, Miguel Leon Portilla, for those of you who are interested in it, right? Uh, one thing that I will say is that this philosophy book is very biased, even though Miguel Leon Portilla goes out of his way to try to be as faithful to the Nahuatl tradition as possible. It's important to note that he himself was, you know, very much westernized. And because of that, a lot of the philosophy that he interprets is interpreted, even though he's trying to avoid it, it still is interpreted through a Western lens, right? So I, I think the reason why I say that is because a lot of people always ask me, like, what's a good, what's a good philosophy book to get into Nawa philosophy? And I'll always recommend that one, but with that caveat. So I have to do so here too with this, you know, <laughs> with this uh, podcast. And the idea here being is that it's good to get your feet right, you know what I'm saying? But it's more important to get your hands on fucking primary ancestral traditions and then, you know, go back and reread that textbook and be like, okay, well, I could see what he's saying here, but it's not a very faithful interpretation of what they're actually saying, right? Which is what I'm trying to do with this episode, but I will tell you that even then, I myself am also Westernized, so there is plenty of mistakes that I will make, which, you know, further iterates the importance of finding, you know, uh, uh, more ancestral sources, which, you know, I am currently doing. So, you know, I'll give myself that credit, but that you as well are capable of doing too, if you don't find my explanations sufficient, right? Anyways, uh, basically then with this whole idea of the only, the divine being true is the notion that to know the truth was to understand the hidden meaning of things through flower and song and a power emanating from the deified heart, right? So... Ultimately, then, what's going on here is that in seeking to give wise spaces to human beings to awaken them, uh, you have to be able to awaken within them the desire to, quote-unquote, steal flowering songs. And this, of course, was the one of the many responsibilities of the Tlamatini, right? To place the mirror, if you will, before the people, to endow them with wisdom so that a face might be assumed and developed. 
that they felt that it's necessary to do this, of course, implies that the Nawa believed in many ways that humans come to Earth, quote unquote, faceless or, you know, born anonymous and without an identity, right? But they were also aware that we are also, you know, eager, uh, that we're on this eager quest, if you will, right? For a face. So we're going to find, we're going to, we're going to find, we're going to search for a meaning somewhere. If we have faceless, we're going to search for a face somewhere. Okay. We're going to search for self-identification. And in doing so, this is, well, we put ourselves in jeopardy of plunging ourselves, if you will, into a questionable existence here on Atlantic Park. Questionable because the existence that we plunge ourselves into may not be conducive to helping, you know, cultivate the flowers within our garden, if you will, to help us polish the stone within us, if you will, right? Because we'll be engaging in other actions that are keeping us from doing so. Oh, there's a great point, a great poem, rather. And, you know, I'm going to try to keep this a bit short, but if I have time to read it at full length later, I will. But the basic idea is, uh, oh, steal your hearts, the person, you know, you steal my heart and all that kind of shit, right? It's a really beautiful poem, but the ideal chant, I should say, I, I gotta get, I gotta, you know, get rid of that European content. It's a chant, it's not a poem. But the basic idea is that by surrendering our hearts to all things, uh, we lead it nowhere. And that in doing so, we lose it, mainly because on earth, it can be difficult to aspire to anything of significance to begin with. And it's only possible to achieve that with a, 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 a heart, essentially, right? But if our heart has been stolen away, then naturally it implies that you're not going to be able to achieve anything of fucking significance. It's, it's just not possible, right? You don't have the, the dynamic locomotive force of the heart that is necessary to do so. One thing that uh, I guess bears mentioning at this point is the significance of the day that we were born, or I should say descended to Tlaxtikpa, right? Uh, for the Nawa, right? They call this, well, there's two, there's two counts, right? You have Tonalpo Wali and then Yowali Wali, right? But uh, the most prominent one is the Tonalpowali. It's the day count, right? The Yowaliponali is, is, is the count of night, right? But uh, basically, it's, you know, in its absolute most reductive form, and I hate even saying this because it's not like this at all, right? But it's just the way that I convey it to help make sense of it to people who are not really familiar with this ancestral ways. It's like fucking Zodiac type shit, but it's so much more than that, dog. It's so much more complex than that, you know what I mean? It's a fucking precise science, dog. It's fucking science, homie. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you had, we had these scientists who would fucking study the, the patterns of the day because remember, for now on, it's all about energy and cycles, right? And, you know, certain cycles repeat themselves over and over again. And once you learn, you know, to understand these cycles, you can take note of them quite literally and anticipate what is going to occur on a day like that day, just predicated off previous cycles. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, because of that, we, you know, we have this whole book, essentially. I don't want to call it a book. It's not really a book. But uh, this whole way of understanding that, you know, people born on certain days are going to have, we all have the potentiality. You know, there's 20 potentialities, and I'm not going to get into them because it's not, it's not about that, right? But uh, we all have these 20 potentialities within us, and these 20 potentialities are different energies of the, uh, of the universe, essentially, right, of life, uh, that have certain uh, features, right? And that on the day that you were born to that particular energy, to that particular uh, potentiality, I should say, that energy, if you will, is more prominent within you. So you could have been born on a, on a, on a Sipakli day, for instance, or a Masap day, right? Uh, Sipakli being like a caiman, a Masap being a, a deer, right? And uh, you would have those, you would have all 20 of the potentials uh, within you, because we all do, right? But those would feature more prominently within you, okay? 
So there's very important, the day that you were born figures very prominently in Nahuatl philosophy, okay? And in many ways, it's understood that the sign of the day that you were born, the Tamalcawali that you were born into, it's going to govern us until death, right? And thus, it's going to ensure, uh, in many ways, our fates, depending on the, you know, it's, it's going to ensure our fate here on Tlaxipat, right? Now, again, this is like a fucking massively complex topic, dog. And I, there's just no way I can fucking do it any sort of justice in one podcast alone, let alone in this one, right? But the basic, for now, the basic idea for this episode of, of what I'm trying to explain to you is that they're going to tell us that the importance of our day of dissension, right, is it figures very prominently as an impetus to constantly keep our destiny in mind, okay? More importantly, to you know, make ourselves worthy of our destiny. And more, and, and lastly, I should say, to learn to converse with our own heart to be able to manifest this destiny, if you will, okay? So, you know, I'm a fan of giving practical examples. And I guess the best practical example I can give you is for me personally, I think about this shit every single fucking morning, dog, when the alarm goes off, right? And I want to hit the snooze button. I, I fucking train myself to wake up early in the morning so that I can exercise first thing in the morning when I wake up, dog. And it is, not easy. For one, it has to be fucking early in the morning because if you're trying to exercise before your day starts, you don't have much time, right? Because most days usually start around eight o'clock in the Western world. You know what I'm saying? So because of that, you got to give yourself at least three hours of time uh, before that just to be perfectly situated and ready to actually get your day started. You know what I'm saying? So for instance, right now, uh, I'm teaching a summer semester and this summer semester, my class is at seven o'clock in the morning. So in order to get my day started with exercising, I got to wake up at five in the morning, dog. I got to be in the gym by 520. You know what I mean? So that I could be out of the gym by 615 so I can be out of my house. So I can be back home and then out of my house by 640 the latest so I can go to work and be at fucking class by seven o'clock. You know what I'm saying? And it's fucking, it's very, it's not easy. You know what I mean? Now to be fair, it's fucking a cakewalk compared to what my ancestors, your ancestors had to endure just to get us here to the 21st century. As I sit here in my comfortable fucking house with the refrigerated air conditioner in the middle of summertime in the desert, you know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. It's, you know, compared to what the fuck our ancestors went through, we have it very easy. At waking up at five o'clock, they would look at that and be like, you fucking privileged motherfucker. You know what I mean? I get it, right? But I'm not living there. I'm living now. And I'm telling you, I, I am a night person. I like to be up at night. My family's a night people, you know what I mean? So, you know, just, just trying to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to get all that shit handled. It's not easy, dog. And every single fucking day, I battle against the urge to have to hit the snooze button, to want to hit the snooze button, especially when it's after like leg day, dog. Fuck that, man. I'm tired as fuck, dog. And I don't want to wake up. I definitely don't want to go to the gym. You know what I mean? I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do anything. I want to sleep in and be a lazy piece of shit every single fucking day, but especially after leg day. You know what I'm saying? I, I, uh, quite simply, I want to be doing anything but what I should be doing, right? Uh, and even when I'm in the gym, dog, like sometimes I'm in the gym, I'm fighting every sip, every fucking impulse, screaming impulse in my head to like, you know, take a restaurant if I'm at jujitsu, like, ah, just, just, just sit this one out, dog. you'll be all right, right? Or to just, you know, cut back on some of the weight that I should be lifting, you know, loosen the load a little bit, or maybe not do as many reps, right? Because, you know, who's going to keep me accountable? Just me, only me, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, when I'm feeling lonely, when I'm feeling tired, when I'm hungry, or quite simply, just when I'm trying to make excuses, dog, just to engage in the shitty behavior, uh, to escape those feelings in general. All the wish that I've 
talked about at the very beginning of the podcast that are, you know, catered to in this Western world, right? I have to fight against we, oh, you too, probably, right? We have to fight against those fucking impulses, dog. And the way that I, tr- I do so is by trying to remind myself of the battle that it takes to, you know, fight these destructive tendencies and, you know, to keep in my mind the reward for doing so. Again, the fucking flowers, not cultivating your garden, right? The stone, polishing your stone, which, of course, ideally is becoming, you know, that fucking motherfucker who's capable of being able to do this without any sort of issues at all whatsoever. The strength necessary to learn to swim in these fucking raging waters, if you will, right? And uh, again, this is in complete diametric opposition to what it is that we're told is quote-unquote normal and good in this fucking diseased Western culture, right? Which is, again, where we get to where we are today. Hard times make hard men, right? We should always stay in the hard times. Like, the moment you start to accept the easy times, the good times, that's when you get the bitch-ass men that fucking ruin everything, right? Now, to be fair, that whole hard times make hard men shit, like, that's very reductive in and of itself, but that's the best way that I could, you know, summarize it for this particular point that I'm making here, right? Uh, the Nawa knew this, and they knew that doing so, right, embracing the struggle, again, it's an ontology predicated on struggle, was a necessary pillar, foundational point in, in establishing a society, dog, right? They tell us that in doing this, and not doing this, I should say, that by not doing this, that we lose our place as an artist and that we turn into a foolish and dissolute, that is a, a, a foolish and dissolute fraud, someone who is lax in our morals, you know what I mean? This itself is like a hugely critically important insight into the nature of Nahuatl ethic, because it tells us that morality, it's not about just abiding by this checklist, uh, checklist rather existence that reduces us to this robotic programming, if you will, of relative proportions. It's about engaging in and seeking to maximize the virtues in life, essentially, right? In order to gain, again, I can't continue to reiterate this, the importance of this, but uh, in order to gain the strength necessary to overcome devices that ultimately do nothing more than rob us of the happiness that we deserve. The Nahuatl, they have a chant for this, all this idea that I've just, you know, uh, that I've been un- un- unfolding uh, right now, right? And it tells us, he who was born on those dates, whether a noble or not, became a lover of song, an entertainer, an actor, an artist. He bore his mind. He deserved his well-being. He lived joyfully. He was contented as long as he bore his destiny in mind, as long as he guided himself and made himself worthy of it. Who did not heed this, if he considered it of no account, if he scorned his own destiny, even though he was a singer, an artist, a craftsman, he thereby ruined his happiness. He lost it. He did not deserve it. He held himself above others. He squandered all his destiny, which means he grew conceited and insolent. He looked down on others. He became a fool, dissolute in his appreciation, dissolute in his appearance, rather, in his heart, in his songs and thoughts. He became a poet of foolish and dissolute thoughts. So again, we see that in this poem, there's two critical insights that the Nahua are providing us with. The first is the understanding that there is nothing more devastating than unrealized potential. The second being the role that we personally must actively play in ensuring that this does not happen. No one is coming to save you, homie. Only you can do that. You know what I mean? No one's going to polish your stone for you. 
you have to allow the water flowing within us to strengthen that fucking stone for yourself so that the truth may be unveiled to you, revealed to you, right? This is a very active philosophy. It demands action on our behalf, bro. It's not some shit that you can just fucking intellectualize. You know what I mean? You can read a textbook and summarize. No, dude. This shit, is, it, it, it must be lived, okay? And it's basically telling us straight up, yes, you can be angry and sad and depressed and all around unsatisfied with life. But you can also be the exact opposite of that, okay? And it all depends on you and your actions. This idea of that, oh, well, I was born on this day and I'm this particular, you know, potentiality. They don't believe in that. They believe in harnessing your own fate and manifesting it, changing your own fate even if you have to. If, if, even if it implies changing the date that you were born. Not literally, but figuratively saying, I'm not going to be this day anymore. I'm going to be this day now. And then acting in accordance with that. You know what I'm saying? All of this, which of course is not, it's just not privileged in this Western society, dog. So in many ways, you know, I read this at least for sure. And hopefully if I'm doing, you know, what I intended to do with this fucking podcast correctly, you're hearing this and being like, fuck, this is not at all like what the Western society is like. No wonder this shit is sick and diseased. You know what I mean? The waters of our society are not flowing. It's a stale pond at this point. All of these amazing feelings, right? They're only possible if we, we have to discover our potential, just quite simply put, okay? We have to we have to discover what it is that we were sent here for, why it is that we descended to Tlaxicapot. And then we have to structure our lives in such a way that will enable us to achieve this. And perhaps most importantly, you know, we're not going to be able to find this until we stop looking for it outside of us. It's not outside of us. That is a uniquely European, I don't say uniquely, I'm sure other people think that way too. But that is a unique, that is a, a European way of viewing truth and philosophy, that it exists out there somewhere and it must be discovered by people who are, or rather, it can only be discovered by you being ushered there by people who have already arrived there long before you, right? That's not at all how this works according to the Nawa. For one, if anyone's taking you anywhere, it's to the truth that they have discovered within themselves, but that is not an absolute truth, right? All the truth rests within us. We can discover it within ourselves and reveal itself to us, right? We just have to do the work necessary to, uh, uh, to, uh, to make it so, right? Again, just the metaphor that was given to me uh, by, uh, by the, the people that I'm learning from is just consider, continue to consider the stone, the gem, right? How it can only, the gemstone, how it can only be polished through water, right? It's in, it's, it's within us. And you know, the only way to do that is to constantly keep reflecting on it, keep the waters flowing through it and strengthening it and polishing it at, at, at every single fucking way and interval possible. There is not one way, uh, what I should say, what I'm trying to say is that there's no, not that there's an incorrect way. That's not the correct, that's not what I'm trying to say, dog. There's a, everything in life is directed towards polishing that fucking stone. There is not one action in this planet and this existence in your life that is not directed towards polishing that stone. And whether you understand that or not, whether you agree with that or not, it's not even the way, it's such a complex topic, it's such a complex idea that I don't even know how to articulate it, right? But what I'm trying to say is that whether you are aware, there we go, whether you are aware of whether or not this action is trying to polish your stone or not, that's a different story. It's going to do so regardless. And our point is to learn how to take these actions and utilize them to our stone's best benefit so that it can become as polished as possible, as opposed to just flowing needlessly over, the, over it, right? 
very complex philosophy. I'm trying to do my best in articulating it. <laughs> and of course, the simplest way of doing so is that just simply again stating that the truth is within us. Everything we're looking for is right here, homie. <laughs> right? Finding it, obviously, is so much easier said than done as we find ourselves constantly, constantly in these precarious positions, homie, as, you know, we are creatures who are born without an identity, right? And because of that, we're constantly in this position where every and any little thing is seeking to exploit that and telling us, oh, you look, you're looking for meaning and purpose? I got it right here for you. All you got to do is give me your heart, right? Whether it be religion, a sports team, a relationship, a job, like all kinds of shit, right? And us as these creatures with these unsatisfied desires who lack a definite goal and throughout big back, and many times, unfortunately, are more than willing to, you know, give away our hearts to do so, right? And what this philosophy is telling us is that it may seem satisfactory for having done so, but this quote-unquote satisfaction, realistically, it's nothing more than a placatory form of satiation. Dog. All you're doing is you're just placating this fucking feeling of, uh, of a desire for purpose, right? And you're conflating that, you know, that feeling of having it satiated with an actual real, you know, action of actively doing so. You know what I'm saying? So again, very complex idea. I'm trying to simplify, I'm trying to simplify as, as easily as possible. And for me personally, it's whenever I'm watching a movie and I start to feel a little bit too relatable to the character, like the, the character, the character has just achieved like some great feat. And I start to get uncomfortable when I feel like myself has, have, I, like I've also completed some great feat. I don't know shit. I've been sitting on my fucking fat ass watching a movie for the past two hours. You know what I mean? A work of art. It's not even fucking real. This is a fiction, right? Um, so I shouldn't be feeling any sort of fucking attachment to it because it's not fucking real. You know what I'm saying? And when I do that, when I do feel that it's not real, it's fake. So basically what's happened is it's, it's created this form of satiation where all the energy that I could have put forward to actively manifesting and cultivating my own flowers has now been spent on this fucking movie where I got zero return out of it at all in the real tangible world. All right, dog, my bad. I'm back up in this bitch. I had to take a quick break because apparently my fucking Adobe decided to shit the bed <laughs> at the very beginning of the fucking uh, recording process. And because of that, the audio was all fucked up for the first half, dog. So my bad. If you've made it this far, man, I got even more fucking love and respect for you, homie, because I did what I could, but, you know, it's not going to sound the best, but fuck it. We keep it moving. Siempre para adelante, homie. You know what I mean? Part of me wanted to just stop halfway and be like, fuck this shit. I'm not fucking recording it again. I'm not going to release it. But then the other half of me was like, well, fuck it. It's already halfway done, dog. You might as well just finish. You know what I'm saying? Siempre para adelante. Always moving forward. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I just another quick apology uh, for the audio. You know, hopefully it's not too terribly bad if you listen to it this far. And hopefully by this point, it's a little bit better. Right. So anyway, let's get back right back into this shit, dog. We're talking about the Nawa philosophy, the Nawa education and how it's designed to lead to the development of a heart and a face uh, with the express intention of imparting this humanistic quality, if you will, to man's will, which in turn can free us from this predicament that I'm just talking about here, this fucking, you know, this notion that it's just satiation and not actual real satisfaction. You know what I'm saying? And that how this is only achieved through self-discipline. And again, I got to continue to emphasize that although this is something that 
there's plenty of philosophers that are talking about right now, the most obvious of which, again, being Jordan Peterson. I have to continue to emphasize that this is more than just that pedantic clean your room bullshit, okay, that he's always joining on about, right? Because a well-ordered life was a life of, right, for lack of a better term, a lack, a lot, it's a life of divinity, dog. But there's just so much more to it than what Jordan Peterson is talking on about, okay? And part of that is inherent with the re- reminder that for the Nahuatl, everything is Teot, okay? So this is, again, the aesthetic element to this Nahuatl morality and the understanding that, you know, pieces of art themselves are expertly crafted and considered to be sacred and that they are the closest approximations of Teot, while those that are, you know, haphazardly arranged are on the lower end of the spectrum. So I guess this podcast is going to be a little bit of that. You know, you have the first half that was a little bit haphazard and hopefully the second half, which is going to be more expertly arranged that shows some sort of the actual uh, unfolding of the sacred that I was trying to convey in the freaking first half of the podcast through this action, the flowers that I'm offering you. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, uh, the same holds true for our lives is what this Nahuatl philosophy is going to tell us. Basically, that we are here for a reason. And usually that reason is complementary to the wills of the gods, okay? That is to achieve some sort of purpose. This uh, Miguel Leon Portilla wants to tell us, right? Whatever that purpose is, dog, that's the whole purpose of cultivating the flowers. Only you can figure it out for yourself, right? Everybody has a different purpose. To give you a little bit of insight to ground it, at least with the Tonal Powali, is that sometimes, you know, you'll look around your society and you'll see that certain, you know, your community, and you'll see, for instance, this is what was related to me, that uh, your community needs a certain uh, potentiality. So you'll purposely try to have a child in such a way where that child will land on the Tonalpawali of the day that that energy is going to be manifested, that potentiality is going to be manifested. So like Sipakli, for instance, they're really good leaders, right? So you're trying to plan your pregnancy around the fucking, uh, the birth of a Sipakli for, for, for that very reason. And then, you know, the goal then is for you have a, a leader who's born into your community and now you must harness and harvest that potentiality in that leader, that leader himself or herself must harness that potential within themselves to become the leader that they were descended onto Tlaltikpak to be, okay? And that basically the idea here is that once you arrive at your own individual truth, and thus you're able to follow the path, which will lead you to the only truth on earth. And that this in itself uh, is the only thing that's going to provide you with the answer, uh, right, to the mystery of human life and suffering on Tlaltikpak, if you will. And that without doing so, the, the Nahuatl were going to argue that we continuously risk plunging ourselves into this, again, questionable existence here on Tlaltikpak, Knowing full well that, you know, given the ephemeral nature of this existence, nothing that we ever find here will realistically bring us a true happiness as opposed to that which is within us. This once again brings us back to the whole notion of uh, of predestination, if you will, but also now of work, homie. It's like an intimate relationship between the two, right? And uh, I mentioned earlier how they felt as though we can alter the fate that we've been, you know, born into, if you will. Uh, And part of that is what is referred to as monad sorry, monotza, okay? And monotza is this Nawa principle that we are able to modify our personal destiny by means of our own personal control. Now, I have to emphasize here that the magical component is not of interest. So much so, the magical here being is like uh, the notion that our lives are divinely guided by the stars, if you will, okay? What's important that I'm trying to say here is the message of personal responsibility, 
namely in the importance of recognizing the possibility of modifying our own personal destiny by means of our own personal control. That is the key part here, right? And, uh, you know, I've, I mentioned it before. I've never really delved too, deep, too deeply into it, but the way, the best way that I can see this is through a form of survivalism, right? And hopefully one day I'll be able to delve into it deeper. But the basic idea is just overcoming, overcoming irrespective of the obstacle, right? Uh, and in this particular sense, it doesn't matter whether it's some grand metaphysical reality or not. That's irrelevant, okay? Because what is important is the understanding that we, at any moment, can take radical control of our own lives and alter its trajectory. It doesn't matter what point of your life we're in, right? Uh, we have at any moment the ability to recognize and understand that we are not victims, okay? That we are not our past. That at any moment we can alter the trajectory of our lives to better suit our you know, goals, our purposes here on Tlaltik Pak. Now, this obviously is a very, again, unpopular sentiment in our current time where, you know, you get currency for being a victim, essentially. And it's one of the areas where I agree with our connected relatives, for instance, when they critique us detribalized folks as being, you know, trendy social media foods, essentially. Okay. And, and the reason why, basically, dog, is because... I mean, there's just so much that can and should be said about this, man. But this is not the this is not the space for that, right? I'll just keep it as simple as stating that reconnecting is just so much more, dog. It's just so much more than calling ourselves "quote unquote" Aztecs, okay? And then proceeding along with this Western indoctrination that we've been brainwashed with, right? This uh, this not wash it is deep, homie, okay? And it demands a lot of work on our behalf to actualize it. I've mentioned already, right, that I myself am taking some classes from some relatives who are still connected to try to, you know, learn the ancestral ways. And one thing that they do like to say is that this philosophy itself is self-correcting, self-sustaining, self-preserving. It's already perfected. We're not adding anything to it. It's we're not saving the philosophy. The philosophy is saving us. Right. And uh, a lot of these things, they mean a lot when they say this. Okay. But in this particular case, it implies that this philosophy is always going to filter out the disingenuous, homie, because of how rigid and demanding it truly is, right? This philosophy, it requires constant introspection, like I mentioned earlier, right, of any and everything uh, that are both visible and invisible to us and how they influence our actions and ultimately shape the persons that we are or will become. And obviously, this is very painful work that requires a lot of honesty because if we're being sincere, the last thing that the majority of us want is to hear that we are, you know, terrible pieces of shit and that our life is in shambles because of ourselves. Right. We have allowed the water to come to a halt. And because of that, our fucking our, our watering spring has become polluted and it has led us to make terrible decisions in our lives. Right. And that's in many ways what this ancestral philosophy does, in fact, tell us when we arrive at this particular point. Right. And I'm not trying to beat down on us any further, you know what I mean? Because it is actually a very uplifting philosophy. But all I'm trying to say is that this philosophy, it filters people out. This way of life filters people out because it's very difficult, it's very demanding. As I mentioned at the very beginning, when they embrace the struggle, this is the struggle that they're talking about, right? And we have become so pampered in this Western world that it's easier to just dismiss this philosophy than to actually immerse ourselves in it, to swim in the waters of this philosophy and, you know, gain any of the potential benefits we uh, stand to do, uh, we stand to gain from doing so. Which, you know, for me personally, is just a terrible, terrible thing, 
especially for men. I have to keep emphasizing that part because weak men make hard times, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, man, this is obviously not easy, right? Which is why for, you know, most reconnecting folks, if you will, it's easier to just adorn ourselves, if you will, with all the performative shit that we're told our ancestors did and pretend we're making an, a, a, a difference than actually doing the quote unquote shadow work, right? To use the new age hipster terminology. Uh, but it is, it is what it is, right? With shadow work before Jung came along thousands of years, ten to thousand years before Jung was everything. Nawaz, we were doing the shadow work, right? Uh, and it's not easy. It's not easy, right? <laughs> and it's so much easier to just tune in and tune out like we're given here in the Western society. But that obviously has very dangerous repercussions that are not going to lead us to any sort of escape from the current quagmire that we find ourselves in. So, you know, just to circle back and put the little bow on it, in that particular case, I do completely agree with our connected relatives who talk shit about, you know, the uh, non-connected folks, right, for being trendy hipster turds, because that's exactly what many of those fools are. And I've been guilty of it, too, in the past, right? Um, but the good news is, of course, that we can be more than that, which is where we get, you know, back to this Nawa philosophy, specifically this monota, okay? This monota, it's a, it's a calling to oneself that demands that we enter into ourselves and learn the ways that we must discipline ourselves and ultimately learn to control ourselves. So according to this example, uh, the reasons for things going well with one, right, or for another deserving humiliation and destruction lay precisely in admonishing or the lack thereof of oneself, right? If things are going well for you, it's because you're fucking doing the work necessary to ensure that shit's going well for you. And if shit is not going well for you, it's because you are not doing the work necessary to ensure that shit goes well for you because it's too difficult and you're too much of a weak bitch, whatever, right? And this honestly can be said of anyone irrespective of their day of birth right which speaks to the uh, important role again of the end not only of the, the the role that the individual can play in altering our fate and nawa philosophy right but of our own volition as well when it comes to you know our own fate and destiny the idea that each of our own fate can be modified to a significant degree by our own volition simply by controlling ourselves right we can learn to regulate our lives so that things may go well for us but of course at the same time we can also waste our lives even if we were born under favorable signs dog like you could still waste your life you know what i'm saying so the idea here being is that while the nawa absolutely believed in the strong influence of the signs they considered self-control homie an important force in overcoming or potentially even manifesting our own destiny this again is another uh, offering right another wind chant and it states that we are born never to rest, but to live, to work, to suffer, to fight, and to seek a face and a heart. We yearn for that which is true on earth, for only by finding truth can we put the end to our restlessness and find within ourselves the foundations that we seek. Until we do so, we will continuously shift around and endlessly roll around like a marble. Right, so... Again, just imposing upon us, uh, you know, and in, instantiating in, in upon us the importance of, you know, the, the, the responsibility that we have to ourselves to become the people that we are born to be, essentially, and how that in turn affects the, you know, the, the community that we are a part of, right? 
Now, the good news is, of course, they're not going to just leave us out there to dry, bro. This is the whole role of a Tlamatini, is to guide people along these waters, right? Teach us how to swim, if you will, to follow the metaphor, okay? And uh, this is where a lot of their morality comes into play. I mean, the morality itself is this whole huge-ass topic that it, it merits its own whole lecture series, bro, right? But for the purposes of just this one particular podcast episode, the basic idea is that Morality, it boils down to the discovery of what is appropriate and right and what will help us avoid the greatest travesty, which, of course, is losing our own hearts. Right. Uh, so this, this is why our does not want education in general uh, is it, it seems to, it's, it's got a very ethical character to it. Right. Because it's been developed to address this fact where we orient the soul again, to use the Christian language towards the good, if you will. OK. Now, uh, it is important to emphasize, if I have, as I have discussed before, that the Nawa, they absolutely do not have a Western Christian understanding of, you know, quote unquote, good and quote unquote, evil. OK, uh, for them, the ancient rule of living which defined the distinction between the two, between good and bad, to use perhaps more appropriate language. It's called Tlamanitilitli. OK, and basically what it does is it offers an absolute criterion for distinguishing between that which is good for us and that which is bad for us, okay? And I've mentioned it before, but it bears repeating, and that is that what is good is seen as that which is appropriate to the human being, okay? It has this quality because it is as it should be. It is well-ordered, essentially, right? And conversely, what is bad is that which isn't properly ordered. This is why I like to say shit like the evils, if you will, dear. God, I wonder, can you save me? Illuminati got control of my mind, soul, and my body. Right? Some Jay-Z song. That's where I got it from. The Evils. That's the name of the Jay-Z song. But that's what it reminds me of, dog. You have all these little things that are, you know, that we constantly encounter on a daily basis that seek to deviate us from this well-ordered path, if you will. Okay? And uh, if we let them, they will overtake us and keep us from manifesting the fucking life that it is that we're capable of, you know, living. So encircling back to this whole morality, then in order to discover whether a certain act would or would not conform to the principle of moral standards, we must ask ourselves two questions. The first of which is, would the result of the act be appropriate or perhaps more directly, would it enrich or impoverish the life and nature of men? Right. So going back to like the quote unquote, the evils dog, when I catch myself slipping, I'm taken over by them completely. I'm not eating healthily. I'm not exercising. I'm drinking way too much alcohol. And in general, I'm just doing things that I know I should not be doing because they don't enrich my life, right? They are, in fact, impoverishing my life because, as I mentioned before, when I'm doing all these things, right, when I'm engaging in all these devils, right, I'm not doing the things that bring me happiness. I'm not cultivating my garden, bro. It's hard to fucking podcast, let alone sit down and write and read for a podcast when you're hungover as fuck. You know what I'm saying? My water is stagnant when I don't exercise because there's not flowing. My blood is not flowing. The sweat is not flowing. You know what I'm saying? All of these things impoverish my own personal life. And because of that, they keep me from manifesting the potential of what it is that I'm capable of. You know what I'm saying? And because of that, those things are bad, essentially. Right. So and it just it relates to everybody. We all got our own vices that we're attempting to overcome. And the simplest way to consider whether or not we should be engaging in an action because it's good or bad is simply ask ourselves, would the result of the behavior that I'm going to engage in be in itself something straight 
or something devious, okay? Or, you know, to use perhaps more direct language as opposed to the Nahuatl uh, poetry or uh, metaphor, okay? We ask ourselves, does this act enrich our lives, okay? Does it help us assume a face and develop a heart? Because if it does, then moral good is involved. And if it doesn't, if the heart and the face is lost in an act, then it's bad and a moral bad is involved, okay? So in this sense, that's where we see that the vices are bad and again, the effect that they have on our lives and, you know, by proxy, the actions that lead to these vices as well, right? So things like perversion and greed, for example, you have perversion, which engenders bad because it deprives human behavior of the righteousness born of morally correct behavior and thinking, okay? As for greed, the Nahuatlas, uh, it corrupts the goodness of the thing and that it applies, it implies a lack of self-control. Only a greedy person, uh, only a person with, with, with a lack of self-control is a greedy person because someone who has control of themselves doesn't long for anything. They're content with what they have. You know what I'm saying? So in this sense, then the goodness itself, it cannot, you know, it cannot involve overindulgence or deviousness. It's like this middle path that, you know, this repeating tropes that repeat themselves over and over through all sorts of various philosophies across time and age. So the Nahuatl offers another chant in this particular sense that gives us a little bit of insight into what it is that we personally can do to try to avoid strain, you know, falling off of this path, okay, ensuring that we live on a more well-ordered uh, 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 trajectory. And it states, act, cut wood, work the land, plant cacti, sow maguey, Magway is super important in Nahuatl philosophy, right? But not the time and place to discuss why. But I will, inevitably, okay? Anyways, going back to the quote. So, Magway, you shall have drink, food, and clothing. With this you will stand straight. With this you shall live. For this you shall be spoken of. Praised. In this manner you will show yourself to, be, to your parents and relatives. Someday you shall tie yourself to a skirt and blouse. Get married. What will she drink? What will she eat? Is she going to live off of the air? You are the support, the remedy. You are the eagle, the tiger, right? So just, again, speaking directly, directly to men, bro, and letting it be known that, dog, this whole fucking pussyfooting shit around that you're doing, like, you, th this is not good. This is not going to lead to any sort of good, not just for you individually, but ultimately, collectively, if every fucking man is out here pussyfooting around to society as a whole. And the only way to avoid that is by living this very rigid, austere, self-disciplined life. You gotta act, cut wood, work the land, plant the cacti, right? Sow the magway. All literal and metaphorical interpretations of what it means to live a good life, what it means to be, more specifically, a man. This is one thing that always fucking makes me laugh about the decolonization turds, and I was one of them, so you know, it is what it is, dog. Continue the journey, you know what I'm saying? But this notion that you're just gonna fucking become decolonized and sit around and work but not nah, or sit around and not work but it's like nah man this is the complete antithesis of what the <laughs> what our ancestors believed in bro working was critically important and it's not just physical work either this podcast that i'm giving you is work okay under whatever it is that cultivates your garden within you that's work homie and the understanding that you have to get up off your ass and put the fucking work in that whatever it is that you were put here to do you have to get up off your ass and do it dog you got to overcome all these little fucking distractions that are keeping us okay from doing so at any given moment because that is necessary for us as individual people to live good life but also as the fucking bedrock for us a good society homie okay 
And uh, this was the Tlamatini's mission, dog, as moralists. Okay, they're seeking to develop hearts that are solid as rock, uh, one that is a master of itself. Okay, recognizing what it is, learning, understanding what it is that our role is in society, and then working to complete it, man. Because this quest of self-completeness, it was hugely motivated, not off philosophy. They were motivated by social praise. Okay, and. Uh, True social approval was merited only by the well-developed face and heart who practiced here on Tlaltic Pak what was appropriate and upright. So yeah, dog. All of this to say simply, I mean, this is I got so much more to go, but there's no need to fucking force it all into one episode. I'll catch you all in about another month or two and we'll fucking continue to delve into it. You know what I'm saying? Um, the wheel is a turning and you can't sit still. If the thunder don't get you, then the lightning will. The Grateful Dead, homie. Right? Uh, gotta get up, gotta work, okay? Uh, it's the only way to be better men, basically. Like, I'm speaking directly straight up. I, I, again, I appreciate all the female listeners here, dog, but it's, you know, uh, we live in a sick society, homie. Let's put it at that, right? This Western society is sick, and it cannot, it, the cure is not to be had in what, what made it, what made us sick in the first place, okay? And understanding this and seeing how there is no, legitimate concern in attempting to rectify this honestly was part of my disillusionment with academic philosophy it's like bro there's clearly alternatives that we could clearly be teaching that would be far more beneficial and y'all don't want to and i just couldn't help myself for the longest time but to ask why and at first i thought it was something as simple as whiteness homie whiteness right but it's like nah man that's far too simple the re the real reason why i feel like now is that Academia, for what it is, is nothing more than the intellectual arm of the quote-unquote masters of mankind, dog. And they, okay, they know good and well that this shit is more than just a, my shit right here, is more than just a direct attack on, on philosophy, ho. It's a direct attack on the fucking very society that they have created to benefit off of our suffering as a whole. So, of course, they're never going to teach an alternative because... That fucking institution, academia, is part and parcel of the whole fucking structure of the whole hustle that ensures that people are living these very depressed, unfulfilling, unrewarding lives that lead them to search for meaning and purpose and the very excuses, the very outs, that, if you will, that this sick society has provided us, whether, again, it be hookup culture, dog, fucking uh, alcohol abuse, drugs. Uh, all sorts of different shit, homie. You know what I'm saying? Sports teams, politics. All, there's all kinds of shit out there, dog, is what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? And uh, once you start to, you know, expose that, then, you know, you start to threaten the status quo, which is why, of course, in academia, they'll never teach something that does that because academia, again, is the status quo, right? So, uh, yeah, dog, but <laughs> I guess in parting, I guess that's... Just to clear up that this one loose end that I want to be very clear about. That's why I really say, that's why I say I really don't care about Western philosophical feminism, dog. And again, it's not because I hate women, but again, because it's not the answer to the problem that men like myself, and I'm sure probably you, if you're listening to this, are facing and perpetuating. Okay. The only answer to that, it's it's not fucking becoming a feminized man, bro. It's fucking <laughs> It's a philosophy that speaks directly to the hearts and faces of these men, of the, like me, okay? So that we may regain the wisdom of what it takes to be a real man, homie, okay? A real man is not toxic masculinity. That's the furthest thing from it, okay? Uh, a real man, okay, 
is someone with a strict adherence to these ancestral principles that speak to the importance of education, right? A real man, it's not these motherfuckers that run around thinking that they're bad, homie, when really they ain't shit, okay? It's a very high standard. Andrew Tate is not a fucking real man in my book, dog. I don't give a fuck what anyone says, okay? I would love nothing more than to have a conversation with him and let him know this very fact. There is no... There is nothing real about... What the fuck do I know, dog? Right? I know his critique would be, you've never lived this life, so you wouldn't know. The point that I'm going to make is I don't desire that life because I don't find fucking uh, fulfillment in those material goods that you're telling young men are necessary to live a good life. Like, that's not, <laughs> that ain't going to, that's not going to feel, that's not going to fix shit, homie. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a high standard of what it is to be a good man. You need to have a strong heart and a strong face. And the fact is that too many of us have faltered from that, myself included, Okay which is why we are here where we are now collectively as a society. The good news is this can this can this can be changed, dog. This isn't this doesn't have to be this way, okay? Which is why, you know, I always say it, dog, but I mean it with every fucking fiber of my being. Yo, I fucking sincerely, genuinely, honestly, truly believe in the healing power of philosophy, dog. You know, back then, obviously, philosophers, we had an enormous responsibility. Today we're basically fucking jokes, dog. You get that whole fucking joke about the the philosophy major being a waiter and shit like yeah we're jokes nowadays dog but back in the, that's just because of what western academia has reduced us to because back in the day bro we were very we had very important roles right and we could still have these important roles it's just a matter of fucking again altering the fate dog it's within every single one of us the power to do so right for me personally it comes with the desire to you know offer an alternative bro to this fucking i can't like if you can, if you don't hear it in my voice, allow me to continue to fucking explicate my outright disgust with this sick society that we're living in, homie. Right? Because <laughs> it's bad. It's bad, homie. Right? And part of the reason why it's bad is because it's purposely built that way, dog. And it's something that I'm starting to really realize with this hood philosophy shit. It's you know confronting the mindless reproduction of patterns, if you will, these patterns of behavior that we've been indoctrinated with, so that we can recover. And heal ourselves and our society from the fucking grips of these motherfuckers who benefit from us being in this state of fallenness, right? I just, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important, like, I believe philosophy to be, dog. That's why my motherfuckers always ask me shit like, why should I study philosophy? The answer is so simple, dog. We study philosophy so that, you know, we can learn what we believe is worth fighting for in the first place. We study it so that we can move beyond the realization of absurdity, you know, inherent with these clearly insignificant pursuits, bro. We study it so that we can give our hearts to every, so that we can stop rather, giving our hearts to every and anything in hopes that doing so will bring us happiness that we desire, right? And instead, learn to polish the gemstone within us so that we can fucking give all of our energy to the one thing that truly will bring it uh, happiness, cultivating our garden and our flowers instead. You know what I'm saying? We study the philosophy so that we can gain knowledge that truly matters, homie. Knowledge of self, that's all that matters, you know, all right? Everything else is merely secondary, okay? Because it's only with an authentic heart and face that we're going to be able to escape the suffering of this dreamlike world of Taltik Pak, right? Only in this manner might we arrive at our own individual truth and thus be able to follow the path which might lead us to the only truth on earth, okay? And then at the end of this path, okay, at the end of this path, we might be able to find the answers to that which only flower and song can only flower and song can solve, homie. And that is, of course, to reiterate the mystery of human life and suffering here on Tlaltic Pak. Okay? 
I ain't got time, dog. I ain't got time for that. What was I? Edgelord, God is dead, bullshit, homie. I got that shit's leave that to the Western fucking nihilists. That that's for them, okay? My shit, our ancestral shit is understanding that we are a fucking manifestation of the sacred energy, dog. That, that we are sacred, okay? And we need to treat ourselves accordingly. This ain't some fucking new age hipster nonsense, bro. This is fucking understanding of the, the sacred energy, dog, and how it it it, it 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 constitutes everything in reality, ourselves included, okay? And that because of that, we all have this choice to act towards manifesting something to help us unfold this sacredness, okay? Cultivating our garden or not, okay? And that's never going to happen. We're never gonna cultivate this garden. We're never gonna be the unfolding of the sacred, okay? Until we start engaging in the philosophical shadow work, if you will, necessary to do so. We gotta polish that gemstone, homie, okay? So why study philosophy? The answer is simple, to develop a face, okay? Because the only way to do so is by cutting the shit and accepting that you're, you're here for a reason. All of us are here for a reason, dog. And it, that <laughs> inherent in that reason is a fucking attitude of struggle. Like you're gonna struggle, okay? The point is to fucking become strengthened by that struggle and develop the, the resolve necessary to be able to manifest the reason that we are here, right? Or, or of course, you can just retreat from this fact and, you know, hide from it, cower from it and live the rest of our lives in regret for, you know, not doing so, right? The choice, it's, it's always up to us because again, at the end of the day, this Nahua philosophy, despite the determinism that it, is, that it appears to portray, is always one of agency, right? And yeah, I guess that's about as good a time as any to go ahead and wrap this bitch up. Again, my apologies for the first half. I hope you stuck out through. I hope you dug it out all the way through to the second half. And if you did, I appreciate the fuck out of you. And I'll catch you next time. Till then, peace. <laughs>